Well, hello, and thank you very much. You're listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and thank you for joining us again, or welcome if it's your first time. We tend to focus on some of the, uh, normally the cobwebby corners of jazz recorded history, and we do a little bit more of an in-depth look at certain recording sessions or bands or personnel or something like that. Today we're going to be listening to some music that is fairly well known among jazz aficionados. Hopefully we're going to take a little bit of a different look at it. This is the uh, series of recordings that were done by Bix Beiderbecke and his gang. Of course, Bix Beiderbecke was the um, legendary, I'd have to say, cornet player who was born in Davenport, Iowa in 1903. He's generally considered to be one of the first white jazz musicians to have uh, played music frankly worth listening to. Um, The black jazz musicians, of course, were the first because they were the originators and they continued to be in the pride of place in jazz history all through the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so on. But there were white players, of course, who did come up who were able to assimilate some of the stylistic elements and also take jazz in their own direction. And Bix Beiderbeck was one of the first. He was one of uh, the most charismatic musicians uh, playing this style of music, and uh, it's a little bit hard to divine out why that was. He wasn't all that well-known in his lifetime. He played with some very high-profile bands. He made some excellent recordings, but probably by the time he died in 1931, not a huge number of people had heard of him outside of musicians, other musicians who were impressed with his abilities and uh, his personality as well. It really wasn't until after he died that the whole Bix legend grew up and people started listening much more closely to the recordings that he had made during his lifetime. And uh, by doing that, uh, he influenced subsequent generations of jazz musicians, particularly musicians who we call traditional jazz musicians today. And this series of recordings done by Bix and his gang, Bix Beiderbeck and his gang, uh, are really in some ways the, 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 the font of a lot of traditional jazz that came later. Beiderbeck started playing uh, piano as a youth. He wasn't a very good student. He probably had some dyslexia issues that kept him from reading music very well. He never really became a good music reader. He became an adequate uh, one later on when he played with uh, some big bands, including Paul Whiteman's. But he had an exceptional ear. He could reproduce any types of uh, songs that he heard. Um, People talk about how he went to the theater and uh, saw stage shows even as a little boy and uh, even silent movies which did have musical accompaniment and then he'd come home and play the tunes on the piano afterwards. Along about 1917, 18 or so, uh, maybe a little bit before, he became the proud owner of a cornet, and uh, he was very early on attracted to the music of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, which after all was really the only jazz that you could hear in Davenport, Iowa for the most part during that period, because the original Dixieland Jazz Band were the first, uh, was the first group to make jazz recordings. They were white jazz musicians from New Orleans, and they played in the uh, tradition of that uh, city, music that we would call Dixieland today, that came to be known as traditional jazz. And uh, he, uh, Bix, in particular copied the cornet lines of Nick LaRocca, who was not an outstanding player himself, but he was a good lead player. And uh, Bix learned a lot of the tunes from that. He also apparently heard some of the black bands on the riverboats. Davenport was at the very end of the Mississippi uh, riverboat line that came up from New Orleans, and apparently he heard Louis Armstrong at some point, about 19... 18-1919 when he was on one of the Streckfuss boats playing with Fate Marable who led the bands on those liners. And uh, so Bix became uh, 
inculcated, I guess, uh, with jazz uh, from those two sources. And he started playing in local groups as well in the early 1920s. As I said, he was not a good student. He didn't last at uh, college very long uh, or at his prep school. He went to um, Lake Forest Academy, which was not too far from Chicago. So rather than studying, he would go into Chicago and listen to some of the great jazz groups in the early 20s. Presumably, he heard King Oliver's band with Louis Armstrong, and then after that, some of the Johnny Dodds groups, Jimmy Noon. And he also heard the white group, the New Orleans Rhythm Kings, which was a much better jazz band than the original Dixieland jazz band. Uh, more or less the same generation of players, uh, white players who came out of New Orleans and played at the Friars Inn and a couple of other places in Chicago about 1921. 22, 23, and Bix definitely heard uh, that group and uh, had some of his stylistic elements uh, refined by them as well. As a cornet player, he didn't have a lot of training, but as I said, he had an excellent ear. He developed an unusual technique uh, using false fingerings and different valve fingerings that were unorthodox to say the least, but because of his good ear and uh, the fact that he had a, a sound in his head, he was able to produce some extraordinarily good uh, cornet sounds and cornet playing even by the time of his first recordings in 1924. Some of the more hysterical Bix devotees over the years would have said that Bix sort of sprung full force uh, playing jazz without any influences. That was clearly not the case. I think he probably was influenced by the Midwest and uh, Western style of trumpet and brass playing. We could say, emanated, if any place, from St. Louis. There was an excellent brass tradition out there that extended from the 20s all the way into the 40s with people like Clark Terry and Miles Davis. But early on, you had people like uh, Dewey Jackson and um, Ed Allen and uh, quite a few other uh, players who were known for uh, extremely clean techniques and very logical playing abilities as well. Charlie Creeth was another one, and I have a feeling that Bix was probably influenced by those sounds. They appealed to his general sense of logic. Uh, as he went on performing and, and making records, uh, the thing that most uh, jazz players commented on, other than his beautiful sound, was his sort of inner sense of logic and how that was reflected musically. He uh, could create solos that were uh, really almost like spontaneous compositions. They, 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 they drew from certain motifs and, and developed uh, over the course of whatever the period was he was soloing, and they could be viewed as uh, real compositions, real compositional holes. And he didn't figure them out necessarily beforehand, those solos, because we have enough recordings were, that exist in multiple takes that show that he sometimes did entirely different things or at least developed his solos as time went on. So he uh, had an interesting perspective uh, on jazz soloing. It was very much at odds, uh, in some ways anyway, with Louis Armstrong, who was the first great jazz soloist who tended to be dramatic and uh, have almost an operatic sweep to his playing. Bix had a much more inner style, inward-looking style, I guess you'd have to say, that compounds this logic and, and good sound to create a very different type of improvisation. And as I said, this was something that was common to many of those uh, black uh, St. Louis trumpet players, although I don't think you'd uh, uh, say that they were influenced by Bix uh, or that they were necessarily artistically in his league, but their approach to the music was similar in a lot of ways. 
So we're going to start out with the first few tunes that uh, Big Spiderbeck and his gang recorded for OK in uh, 1927, actually in October. The first uh, series of these recordings were done while Bix was playing at the Hotel New Yorker with Adrian Rollini's New Yorkers. This was a band of top-flight white jazz musicians in New York, many of whom had played with the Gene Gold Kett Band for a couple of years, and the Gold Kett Band broke up, and Rollini took over some of the personnel, including Bix and Frank Trumbaugh, uh, Bill Rank on trombone, he had Eddie Lang on guitar, Chauncey Morehouse was on drums, um, uh, Sylvester Hola played trumpet, he played lead parts on there, and uh, some other saxophone players, Don Murray on clarinet and tenor sax, Bobby Johnson on alto sax, who was a legendary band that never really did record under its own name. There is a studio recording um, that uses most of the members of this band and probably some of their arrangements as well, some of which were done by Bill Chalice, who had uh, arranged for the uh, Goldcat Band and who was already uh, with the Paul Whiteman Band, which was the top group in white dance band circles at the time. This uh, group at the New Yorker, led by Rollini, uh, only lasted about a month, from middle of September to the middle of October of 1927. The payroll was quite high and they just didn't do good business. And as I said, they didn't record under Rollini's name, but they did record under Frank Trumbauer's name at the end of September. Uh, Frank Trumbauer had a series of recordings, most of which featured Bix Beiderbeck from uh, their time with the Goldcat Band uh, uh, up until even after Bix had died. Uh, Trumbauer was a, was a well-respected uh, recording star. And uh, the uh, Rollini Band, as I said, did make several sides, but they were uh, probably not the jazzier sides that were... Um, arranged by Chalice or anything like that. Now, Bix Beiderbeck began to make his own recordings under his own name at the same time and using some of the musicians of the Rollini band, but these were much more loose, uh, loosely organized. As I said, Bix was not considered a great reader, and he may have felt a little bit uh, hamstrung by some of these arrangements. He liked to play some more freewheeling jazz. These uh, recordings go back to the uh, first recordings he made with the Wolverines, which were... Uh, fairly uh, loose performances. Um, we will hear a whole series of these Bix Beiderbeck and his gang recordings, and some of them, frankly, have mistakes on them. They probably could have done by another uh, take or a rehearsal or something like that, but that wasn't the point. Probably the um, powers that be at OK, Tommy Rockwell, who directed the uh, recording series at the time, wanted something uh, as an antipode, I guess, to Frank Trumbauer's band, which tended to be more dance-oriented. These were more to appeal to the jazz fans. In some ways, I think you'd have to say these recordings were some of the most conservative of Bix's career. He used, uh, initially anyway, jazz tunes that he'd known from the original Dixieland Jazz Band and from the New Orleans Rhythm Kings. A little bit later, he uh, started adding some pop tunes in there as well, but they were very straight ahead um, Dixieland style ensembles with very little in the way of arranging uh, felicities or, or, or sophistication. So we're going to start out with uh, three tunes, At the Jazz Band Ball, Royal Garden Blues, and the Jazz Me Blues. And all of these were recorded by the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Uh, Royal Garden Blues was by Clarence and Spencer Williams and was recorded by uh, a number of African-American bands as well. Uh, and these will feature several members of the Rollini Band. Bix Beiderbeck on cornet, Bill Rank on trombone, Don Murray on clarinet, Adrian Rollini on bass sax, Frank Signorelli on piano, and Chauncey Morehouse on drums. And we'll get to hear some very interesting interplay between the horns, especially Adrian Rollini playing 
playing uh, the bass line on bass sax, also taking some fine solos and even adding a fourth horn into the front line. Uh, and here it very clearly worked. So these are from October 5th of 1927, right in the middle of their run at the Hotel New Yorker. Then we're going to jump up about, oh, a month or so, or a couple of weeks, actually, to the end of October, October 25th, which was just after uh, the band closed at the New Yorker. And we're going to hear the same band doing Goose Pimples, which was a tune by Fletcher Henderson and... Uh uh, Joe Trent, it was a show tune for African, an African-American show at the time, and Sorry by the banjo player Howdy Quixel, and that features Don Murray on clarinet. So those are our first five tunes, and um, they uh, really present some interesting music, I think you'll have to agree. Some good uh, straight-ahead playing, as I said, more on the conservative side, but they demonstrate Beiderbecke's control of the musical pulse and his own soloing ability. So those are our tunes right now. Uh, jazz Band Ball, Royal Garden Blues, Jazz Me Blues, Goose Pimples, and Sorry.
We had an extra thrown in there as well since my best gal turned me down and the reason I uh, put those six on there is because the recorded legacy of Bix Beiderbecke and his gang falls very neatly into two halves and that was the first half and I think there's a, a repertoire and a quality difference as well so to begin with we started out from October 5th of 1927 in the midst of that run at the Hotel New Yorker Bix Beiderbecke and his gang Bix on cornet Bill Rank on trombone Don Murray on clarinet Adrian Rolini on bass sax Frank Signorelli on piano and Chauncey Morehouse on drums and I should mention that Beiderbecke Rank and Murray and uh, Morehouse, too, all played with the Gold Ket Band, the Gene Gold Ket Band, in years past. And so they knew each other very, very well. Uh, and they were, of course, playing with the Adrian Rolina group as well. So those first three tunes, At the Jazz Band Ball, Royal Garden Blues, and Jazzme Blues, as I said, were jazz standards even by 1927. Uh, this band was clearly taking its cue from the original Dixieland Jazz Band, although the tempos were not quite as frantic. They all had that kind of ho-hum ending at the end of it that the uh, original Dixieland Jazz Band used on quite a few of its numbers, and they were obviously doing a tribute in that way. And you can hear uh, the greater importance of solo playing as well. Uh, certainly Bix, who uh, demonstrates that logical conception that I was talking about earlier, but also Don Murray, who was a really outstanding clarinet player of the day. He died fairly young, only a couple of years later while he was playing with Ted Lewis's band. Uh, who knows where he would have gone after that. He probably would have become quite a prominent uh, player in the swing era. He certainly had the same technique as Benny Goodman did at the time, and uh, might have gone on to do big bands as well. So after that, we heard three more tunes, all from October 25th. And as I said, this was a few days after the New Yorker had closed, so this was sort of a valedictory, I guess. Uh, this was a, a date that had... Uh, Two recordings by Bix and his gang, and two recordings by Frankie Trombauer and his orchestra. Same studio, same day. 
the same band with Big Spiderbeck and his gang, uh, slightly uh, amended by uh, different players. Frank Trumbauer on C melody sax. Uh, Pee Wee Russell played clarinet and tenor sax. Eddie Lang uh, on guitar, actually we'd already said him, and Joe Venuti on violin. Uh, were combined with the Bix and his gang to do the Frank Trumbauer in this orchestra. We'll be doing a podcast on them a little bit later. The two tunes from that uh, session were Goose Pimples and Sorry. And actually, another one that was done a little bit later in the session, but the same day, Since My Best Gal Turned Me Down. And that one, of course, had a much more evolved arrangement with tempo changes and everything else. It's possible that that was an arrangement that the Rulini Band had been doing with the full group. And that was a tune by trumpet player Ray Lodwig and banjo player Howdy Quicksell, who were both uh, players in the Gold Cat Band from Days Gone By. So these were musicians who had been playing together with uh, the Goldcat Band and before, and then with the Rollini Band, they were all sort of uh, on the same wavelength and all very fine jazz players, particularly uh, Don Murray and Adrian Rollini. Uh, Rollini could do just about anything he, he, he could hear on bass sax. He was an outstanding bass player, but also a great soloist as well. So the next series of Bix and his gang recordings comes from a year or so later. The um, core members of the, the Rollini group, Bix and Frank Trumbauer, uh, and Bill Rank for that matter, all went with Paul Whiteman and his orchestra. Uh, Paul Whiteman was the... the, the Made plus ultra of, of, of the big band uh, establishment in the 1920s. If you played with Paul Whiteman, you were at the top of the game, and uh, we know that uh, Beiderbeck felt very good about joining that band, even though he didn't feel his reading was up to the task. It was a, a very heavy reading band that did more than just jazz. They did a lot of dance music, concert work, things like that. But gradually, he became a better reader and could negotiate those scores. And uh, from all existing evidence, he was very happy with the Whiteman band. He was well paid. He had good friends in it. He was challenged musically, even if he didn't necessarily do a great deal of jazz. But fortunately, his Bix and his gang uh, recording sessions continued, but with Whiteman musicians after that. So we're actually going to take a little uh, detour before we go to the rest of the Bix and his gang sessions. We're going to hear a uh, session from a couple of years earlier that I think kind of preserves the same feeling as these Bix Spiderbeck and his gang uh, recordings. This is Bix Spiderbeck and his rhythm jugglers recording for Janet in 1925, January 26th of 1925. These musicians were uh, about to go, some of them, with the uh, Gold Cat Band, and uh, they have quite a quite an interesting feeling as well. We have Bix on cornet, Tommy Dorsey is on trombone, one of his first recordings, Don Murray again on clarinet, Paul Mertz on piano, Tommy Gargano on drums, and Howdy Quixel on banjo. So this group also was playing some fairly loose versions of uh, traditional Dixieland uh, standards, I guess you'd have to say. Toddlin' Blues was another original Dixieland jazz band uh, tune by Nick LaRocca and Larry Shields. And then we're going to hear uh, the tune... Uh Davenport Blues, which is Beiderbeck's own tune and his first uh, original composition on record. And this is not a blues, but uh, has some interesting uh, relationships between the verse and the chorus, has some interesting harmonic motion as well. Two other tunes were recorded on that date, but uh, apparently uh, the, uh, the, the libations were uh, flowing freely during the session and uh, the band was not up to uh, making complete takes. But they did get these first two tunes, as I said, for Janet on January 26th of 1925, the Toddlin' Blues and the Davenport Blues. 
Following that, we're going to return to Bix Beiderbecke and his gang, this time after he joined the Whiteman Band, so somewhat different personnel. This will be, uh, we're going to hear two tunes from April 17th of 1928, so about oh, six months after the last Beiderbecke sessions. We're going to hear Somebody Stole My Gal, pop tune, uh, and then Thou Swell, a show tune by Rogers and Hart, and uh, some interesting music going on there as well. And the band in this case will be Bix Beiderbecke on cornet and Bill Rank on trombone. As I said, both were with the Whiteman band. They had gone over from uh, Rolini's group. And on clarinet, we have Whiteman's clarinet soloist, Irving Friedman, who uh, didn't really have the jazz chops that Don Murray did, but he does some very respectable work here. Roy Bargy plays piano. He was known as kind of a, a novelty classical piano player, in addition to being able to do some jazz. He was uh, one of the original pianists who did Rhapsody in Blue. Min Liebrook on bass sax. He had played with the Wolverines and done some work with Beiderbeck earlier in the 20s. And Stan King, one of the uh, best of the early white jazz drummers. He was not with the Whiteman Band, um, but he was brought in uh, as a session player on this. So those are our four tunes, Toddlin' Blues and Davenport Blues by Bix Beiderbeck and his Rhythm Jugglers, and Bix Beiderbeck and his gang doing Somebody Stole My Gal and Thou Swell. I should also mention we're going to precede the master take of Thou Swell with a little bit of uh, a false start that has some voices on it. You can hear some studio chatter, and one of the last voices uh, is possibly that of Bix Beiderbeck. It would be his only... Um, example of his voice being included on a recording. So we'll include that right before the master take of Thou Swell.
So these later Bix Beiderbeck and his gang sides were very much more arranged, certainly not as much as the Trumbauer sides, but they may have been arrangements that were cut down from the large band Paul Whiteman arrangements, particularly that last one, Thou Swell, had a lot of organization to it. Uh, the one before that, Somebody Stole My Gal, did not. However, um, they put the verse in, except either they didn't remember the verse or they didn't like the verse because they substituted for it the verse to Melancholy Baby, which uh, the Whiteman Band also played. Kind of an interesting point there. Um, so that was the Big Spiderbeck and his gang sides with Big Spiderbeck, Bill Rank, Izzy Friedman, Roy Bargy, uh, Min Liebrook, and uh, Stan King. A little bit of a different band. And then we started out with Bix and his Rhythm Jugglers. For Janet in 1925, we heard the Toddlin Blues and Davenport Blues. Some more relaxed playing and looser playing. I think uh, the whole session was quite loose to the point where half of it wasn't usable. Uh, but we heard Tommy Dorsey and Don Murray in addition to Bix with uh, Howdy Quicksill uh, and uh, Tommy Gargano and Paul Mertz. So these show... Uh, Bix's development, certainly as a player from 1925 up to 28. Uh, one of the next tunes, actually the next tune we're going to hear uh, to finish up our series of Bix and his gang, uh, I think really shows the sound quality of Bix's horn. He uh, is obviously very close to the mic on this tune, which is Old Man River, and uh, plays a pretty straight lead in the middle register and occasionally jumps up to the higher register for effect. Very good technique, even though it was a pretty homegrown technique by and large. So this set will finish up uh, the Big Spiderbeck and his gang recordings. Again, mostly pop tunes. Old Man River was a brand new tune in July of 19... Um, uh, 28, or pretty new anyway. It was from Showboat, the Jerome Kern show. And, uh, as I said, features uh, Bix on there. The only personnel difference is instead of Stan King on drums, we have Harry Gale. After Old Man River, we will hear Wad Da Da, Everybody's Doing It Now, which was a tune composed by Harry Barris, who was uh, with the Rhythm Boys, uh, and Bing Crosby and Al Rinker uh, with the Whiteman Band at the time, and Bix and Bing were quite close at the time. Uh, the Rhythm Boys did their own recording of this tune, which we can hear on a podcast I did of uh, Bing Crosby a little bit, uh, a little, little while ago. So after uh, Old Man River and Wada Da, which as I said were July 7th of 1928, we're going to jump over to the last session that Bix and his uh, gang did. This is from September 21st of 1928 and features uh, largely the same band, except uh, we have sitting in on drums Lenny Hayton, who is better known as a piano player. He also plays a little uh, organ, or possibly a harmonium, at the end of one of the tunes as well. So the tunes we're going to hear from this session are Rhythm King, a jazz tune from uh, that period, had a stock arrangement out that I think may have uh, been at the heart of this particular recording, uh, a J.C. Johnson and Andy Razef tune called Louisiana, and then a standard that was fairly old at the time, Margie by Con Conrad and uh, Benny Davis. That had been recorded by the original Dixieland Jazz Band in 1920. So those are our tunes to finish up our Bix and His Gang session. We have Old Man River, Wada Da, Rhythm King, Louisiana, and Margie.
So there we have the sum total of the recordings of Bix Beiderbecke and his gang, minus maybe one alternate take on Thou Swell. There weren't many alternate takes preserved. These were uh, Bix's most uninhibited recordings, I guess you'd have to say. They were less structured than most, especially the first five or six that we listened to. Um, and they probably show his playing more or less uh, the way people remembered it, who were celebrated him after his death for his beautiful tone, logic, and construction, and so forth. It gave him a little more room to stretch out, gave him a little more uh, freedom to develop his ideas. And even though the repertoire was probably on the conservative side, uh, the playing really... Uh, is very interesting in in the way that it shows how uh, Bix developed from 1925 through 1928. So we started uh, with Old Man River, which, as I said, had a lovely melody statement by Bix at the beginning, and then at the end, a little bit hotter as well. Following that was Wada Da, and then Rhythm King, Louisiana, 
and Margie, all featuring some functional little arrangements, uh, some that might have been cribbed from the uh, Paul Whiteman book for the very large band. They may have just taken some elements of it, uh, but some good solos in there as well, all featuring Izzy uh, Friedman on clarinet, Bill Rank on trombone, Roy Bargy on piano, and Min Liebrook on bass sax with either Harry Gale on drums on the first set or Lenny Hayton on drums for the second group. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. This has been a little longer than our usual podcast. We had a lot to deal with there. Big Spiderbeck and his gang and Bix and his rhythm jugglers. You're listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you join us again on a regular basis. Take us with you wherever you go. Uh, we can be found on Spotify, Apple, and on our home, Anchor.fm. If you'd like to sponsor us, please do so. We'd love to get some more members of the family and more podcasts to go. And I'll see you on the other side. 